Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. You're listening to the Wicked Library. <laughs> search of a story, have you? Well, you've come to the right place. My private collection of dark tomes are hungry for your fear, filled with stories that are sure to terrify, disturb, and delight. Be warned, though, these tales are not for sensitive listeners. You're going to hear things that will upset and quite possibly offend. Ah, here's a good one. Follow me now and we'll enjoy this tale together. It's story time at the Wicked Library. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to episode number 911 of the Wicked Library. I'm Daniel Foytek, and I thank you for listening. The librarian asked me to remind you that our first written anthology, 13 Wicked Tales, will be coming out next month. The anthology will include a private collector story by Aaron Vleck, as well as all new tales by Stephanie M. Wytovich, C. Brian Brown, Christopher Long, Jessica McHugh, K.B. Goddard, Kelly Perkins, Lydia Peaver, Meg Halfdahl, Mike Pilgrim, Nelson W. Piles, Pippa Bailey, and Sebastian Bendix. And the anthology features beautiful cover art and illustrations by Jeanette Andromeda. It's a fantastic collection, and we know you'll want a copy as soon as it's released. So, listen here, and follow our Twitter and Facebook accounts for updates. The Wicked Library will be appearing live in the Atlanta area on October 14th as part of the Arttober celebration for Spirits and Spirits put on by the Aurora Theater, and Explore Gwinnett. If you'd like to attend, we have a special offer just for you. Go to thewickedlibrary.com forward slash live and click on buy tickets. Then enter the promo code WICKED before checkout for $10 off the normal $25 ticket price. Again, head to thewickedlibrary.com forward slash live and use the promo code WICKED for $10 off until September 29th. Hurry to get the best seats. Today's episode features a dark tale by the amazing Jessica McHugh. Today's storyteller is the very talented Denise Michelle Johnson, accompanied by a custom score written by our resident composer, Nico Vitese of We Talk of Dreams. And please, if you enjoy the stories you hear on the show, find the work of our authors and buy their work. You can learn more about Jessica and find links to her work on her bio page at thewickedlibrary.com. Now, let's get wicked. Ma's taking a tumble, and she's screaming for help at the bottom of the stairs. The other kids look for me to take the lead, but I ain't budging, so they ain't budging either. We hate the yowling bitch. God's honest. But the reason most of us stay on the top step is because we know Ma's not alone down there. The devil 
has roots in the cellar. I've heard its voice my entire life in the bowels of the dilapidated row house on Amity Street. It sings from the misshapen husk of a girl named Rose I ain't never seen. Rumors say she's hairless and limbless and red as the flames of hell. But that's all grapevine truth. Only Ma and the men who paid to brave the dark are allowed to see the warbling wretch. The devil's quiet now, and after two hours of wailing, Ma's gone quiet too. The beastly nursemaid we call Ma raised us up, but there ain't nothing maternal about her. She runs our little house with an iron fist. Her dugs sway like white flags, and the robes that hang off her massive hump make her look like a walking pile of laundry as she hobbles up and down the cellar stairs, grunting at the painful boils scattered over her body. A former bod in her own right, Ma came to New York for a better life, and don't seem at all pleased she wound up den mother to eleven bastards when the real action is in Miss Jenny's elegant boarding house across the street. The Madam of Amity keeps no less than ten girls ranging from milky blondes to dark-skinned beauties who decorate the row house windows like drops of ink and water. The notorious guidebook known as the Gentleman's Directory lauds Miss Jenny's establishment as an emporium of love for which the procurer spares neither expense nor labor. French mirrors and rosewood furniture make it a palace of beauty where gentlemen are so lavished upon that a knight with Miss Jenny's girl is said to possess a man forever. Her girls are well tended to, trimmed in glittery finery and plump as autumn sows. When Jenny's workers crave sweets, they get sweets. When they want jewels, they get jewels. And when they conceive on the job, they're given tip-top looking after. We bastards, on the other hand, ain't treated so nice. Living a stone's throw from Miss Jenny's brothel, we're confined to our run-down quarters, forbidden to ask which big house whore squirted us into existence, forbidden to even knock on the big house door till we're 16. That's tomorrow for me. One more sleep till I beg to join Miss Jenny's covey. One more sleep till I find out if I'm a whoring for life or starving to death. I wish I had better choices, but that ain't the hand I got dealt, and feeling sorry for myself ain't gonna change it. Besides, a bad hand can still win the game, but no busted old bod on the cellar floor is gonna fuck up my chances now. Someone's plucking the ribbon, Bonnie shouts from her spot on the front window, and we rush to oogle the cove on the rainy stoop of the big house. When he pulls Miss Jenny's bell, the women vanish from their windows as if tied to the chime. It reels them back from the glass, through the halls and down the stairs to the door opening, a shaft of light into the Greenwich gloom. When the man bows, Miss Jenny Cree consumes the glowing entryway like a candle snuffer, made flesh. She has a strange way of commanding the Amity Street shadows to lengthen 
widen, enjoying the dark mean that oozes from her presence. Her hair hangs loose, a veil that blends into the rest of her adornments, every inch gray, save for the massive rose pin at the crux of her heavers. Her body isn't bulgy like Ma's, but she looks bigger somehow, like an angry cat puffing itself up for a fight. Her face don't say fight, though. It says play. And eventually, the fellow will get his chance. But not yet. Miss Jenny makes him wait. Makes them all wait in the shitty little house across the way. Men with certain cravings don't like to be told to wait, and they sure don't like waiting in a broken-down row with bordello bastards. In short, we gotta amuse like a fuckhouse without being a fuckhouse. And the next best thing, Miss Jenny decreed, was a bonafide freak show. Not many bonafide freaks in our lot, though. We got two hair-lip kids and a girl with a purple pox covering half her face. We even got a girl with stumps for arms. She flaps them like wings and jigs around the parlor while the riflers clap and stomp and toss coins she can't never catch. But the rest of us is pure gaff. We paste oats and hair on our faces and bind each other's bodies till we don't look human. They like that. The gentlemen. But we ain't nothing compared to the headliner. What are simple monsters like us when the devil's singing in our cellar? As the man starts over, the kids are frantic, sniveling and gnawing their nails. Ma's supposed to answer the door and lead the gentleman about the show before taking him down the devil's throat. But with her lumped at the bottom of the stairs, there's only one option. Call me Ma, I tell them. Keep your heads and get gaffed like you would any other day. I'll handle the gent. A normal girl would be shitting in her boots right now. But as I unbind my splayed fingers and remove the beginnings of my seal girl getup, there's not a soul in New York that could mistake me for being normal. A freckled girl named Mary stands in my way, her face as tight as a tabby's ass. We should tell Miss Jenny. She wouldn't like this. She'd like losing a customer less. I dig the Siamese twin bindings out of the gaff basket and toss them at Mary's puckered gob. You and Patty get yourselves right. I don't want to be a twin again. The straps bruised me up and down last time, and I don't even look like Patty. There weren't a single man who bought us sharing the same skin. It's not you they're buying, darling. I pinch the 12-year-old's chin and sneer. You got four years before you knock on the big house door and beg for a bed. Take that time and get agreeable or you won't be worth more than a quick upright in the Bowery. She pulls away, scowling. Pinky was agreeable. She was going to be the finest gooseberry pudding in the points, remember? I doubt agreeable's got much to do with it. I don't want to admit the bitch is right. So I tell her to shut her bone box and tie herself to Patty. Frankly, Pinky's dismissal is still a shock for most of us. We littles thought she'd be a natural addition to the boarding house. 
I helped her make the dress she wore the morning of her 16th birthday. It was as close as any of us would get to a coming out party. So we lived in those moments as long as we could. Dressed in frill and violets and gloves she'd nicked from Lord and Taylor, she stood prim and perfect as a cotillion girl as I'd ever seen. That's how I remember her. Hopeful, daring, refusing to believe that she'd ever be cast into a sunrise gutter. I'd seen her since, passed her in the Bowery a year ago, after her rejection. She was the breath of a wilted cornstalk. Leaning against a barbershop, Pinky hiked her tattered dress and flashed her stained thighs at the passerby. Drawing closer, I realized she was still wearing her birthday gown. This faded violet, this would-be debutante, was a rag of her former self, in long, greasy sleeves and gray gloves. You wouldn't find her name in the gentleman's directory, but that didn't mean she was closed for business. Pinky licked her lips as if I'd pick her out of all the stargazers in the Bowery, then squinted at me like a moon-eyed hen. Polly? She stumbled toward me with a filthy grin. That is you, ain't it? God, but you're a lovely thing now. Wobbling past me into the alley, she mumbled. I wonder how long that'll last. She crouched to piss, barely able to keep her boots out of the puddle. When she finished, she dug into a nearby pile of garbage and withdrew a half-drunk bottle of spirits. It won't, you know, she continued with the bottle at her lips. Whether you wind up in the boarding house or not, those looks will leave you flat. Beauty's good for betting, but don't expect a wedding. <laughs> what happened to you, Pinky? Why didn't Miss Jenny take you in? She wiped her mouth on the sleeve, but the garment made her lips slimier. A valuable thing, that information. You got money for it? For the grocer. Ma will notice if I don't get everything on the list. Say someone eased it from you, some jilter, a cross cove on the street. When she unfolded her hand, I noticed the torn gray lace was tinged with other colors. Scabby sores on her palms had dyed the gloves pink and sickly gold. With a sigh, I covered an unsightly boil with a quarter, and when she squeezed it tight, I swear, Clarette squirted out between her knuckles. She pocketed the coin and cast her gaze at her piss-sprinkled boots. I don't know why she rejected me. You dizzy cow, I paid you. I'm being square. She measured every part of me on that stoop. Out and in, she read me like a wise man reads the Bible, with worship and doubt, and declared me unworthy. But I was intact, Polly, I promise you. I was bright and clean as Sunday morning. Now look at me. I didn't want to. The longer I stared, the more pus and grime I saw. Not just on her hands, either. There were greasy spots on her bodice, getting bigger all the while. Not blood, really. Wetter, thicker, bulging-like. I averted my eyes and she cackled, spitting out a wad of pink phlegm. <laughs> I don't blame you. 
and this ain't even the worst. She glanced side to side. I usually hide this, but we were family once, weren't we? A lot of us gaffing and dreaming we'd be in the big house together, free and easy, and set for life. Well, she unbuttoned her sleeve and rolled it up, inch by inch, revealing a slimy arm consumed by crusty scales. I ain't a gaff no more, sister. The patches resembled wet scabs, but they weren't rooted to her skin. Thick and overgrown toenails, the revolting scales drifted through Pinky's soggy flesh, like beef crackling swimming on the sea of boiling fat. It got messier the higher she lifted her sleeve, and when she pulled it away from her armpit, boggy black meat opened in the crease like a dead cur's reeking mouth. Her dogged stink was doubled when she parted her teeth and stuck out her tongue. It was discolored, and the surrounding flesh was peppered with sores. But the real problem hung farther back. The fleshy ball dangling down the back of her throat was riddled with glistening black pimples. And when she exhaled, the growths opened like rosebuds dribbling milk. Swallowing hard, she wiped her eyes. Miss Jenny saw it, whatever it was. It was peaches and cream before that. I had my foot in the door, but this thing in my throat ruined me. I ain't had nothing but shit luck since. She gazed up at me, eyes welling and hands in prayer. Take me back with you, Polly. You can stake me in. Hide me in the cellar with the devil if need be. I couldn't, and she knew it. She was mad with desperation and grabbed my wrist. Black pimples appeared like spots of char on her skin and erupted with white pus when she increased her grip. Her soggy skin made it easy to pull free, but panels of her scaly flesh came with me. I fell backward and landed in her piss puddle, which was slightly less disgusting than the slimy viscera fingerprinting my wrist. Inside, pulling free wasn't easy at all. This was a girl who taught me how to braid my hair, who once took a beating from Ma in my place. If this is what comes of a clever girl like Pinky, maybe I should be shitting in my boots. She sang Rose's song as I walked away, perfectly recited, as if the devil itself had hold of her wagging tongue. What I wouldn't give for that song to fill the little house now. Puzzling as it's been all my life, the foreign verses and minor keys have been a comfort in times like these. As the man slogs through the mud to our front door, I pray for Rose to cry out. I pray for Ma to spring up from the cellar floor and go about her work escorting the gent. The Herodin could beat me to bits for leaving her down there, and I'd thank her for every bruise as long as I can go back to playing seal girl. But that's not how it goes. If prayers did fuck all, I wouldn't need them right now. The gentleman knocks, and the kids nearly jump out of their gaffs. I assure them it's just another day with another sad cove, but as I twist the doorknob, my nerves stew in my belly 
like last week's awful. Exhaling slowly, I open the door and greet the gent with more sing-song pluck than Ma could muster at her lushiest. The man's eyes narrow, and he scans my body. It's the first time a customer hasn't goggled me in puzzlement or revulsion, though I'm feeling both now, and he removes his top hat with a crooked grin as he enters the little house. After nearly 16 years, Ma's introductory speech is branded on my brain, but the words fall like dry nuggets of horseshit from my trembling lips. Welcome, good sir, to the land between heaven and hell where freaks and fancy run wild and... He holds up his hand. Save it, darling. I'm here for the devil. It's what I'd feared. I hoped to sneak down to the cellar and take care of Ma while the gent was exploring the oddities, but he hangs up his wet ulster overcoat and gestures to me to lead on. It's clear he's a man on a mission. When I turn around, his hand falls upon my lower back, and he chuckles at my flinching. Raising a candelabra betrays me further, trembling fire and dashed ribbons of smoke. Looking back at the gent, I find his expression crinkled with mockery. Are you cold, miss? Would you care for my coat? It's not the temperature that chills me, sir. I shiver from the whispers of the devil girl beneath. I don't hear anything. You will, sir. Lowly things like me hear her whisperings, but she saves her song for you. Only a righteous man can make the devil sing like an angel, and those who defy are laid low. You may yet see the truth of it, sir, cramped on the cellar floor. A few kids gave me a thumbs up from the parlor, and I exhale so gratefully I almost lost a flame. I've never touched so much as a toe to anything below the top step. Been ages since I even toyed with the idea. But down I go, orbed in candlelight on the creaking steps of hell. A cool, earthy breeze rushes up the stairs like a band of ghosts fleeing for safety. It snuffs one of the candle flames and I temporarily lose my balance, bracing myself on the dry stone wall. The cellar's throat is cobwebbed and infested with insects that move too quickly for the light to identify. But halfway down, the dark gullet shocks us with illumination. Mirrored panels on either side of the staircase catch and bounce the candlelight into our eyes. Wincing, I continue on, but the man stops, staring intensely into one of the mirrors. Sir? He grunts, but doesn't look at me. He trudges to the other side of the staircase and gazes into the mirror there. On each step, each wall, one by one, he looks deep into his reflection, like there's something hidden in his face, just out of focus, faintly visible beneath his skin. I'm only three steps from the bottom now, where the mirrors turn the corner and cover the cellar walls. On the ground level, I spot Ma's reflection before her actual body, limp on the floor beside a stone pedestal. The gentleman is still several stairs up, goggling his smooth white face. While he draws closer and closer to the mirror, I shuffle to Ma. She's flat on her back, gob hanging loose as trouts. But she looks younger as a corpse. There's something innocent 
almost apologetic, like death has ironed out the angry creases lording her forehead, scrubbed away the envious grime of her station, and left her swaddled in the soft skin of childhood that trauma so often leathers. I wonder if she's someone's mother. I wonder if she has friends. Shit. I wonder what her real name is. And I hate myself for not wondering before. Her eyelids look closed, but the candlelight catches a glimmer of wet ivory when I'm at her feet. I illuminate her face and peer at her exposed eyes. It's as if all the colors drain from them, the pale irises barely distinguishable from her pupils. Rose's voice rings out, and I drop the candelabra. Retrieving it, I lift the remaining flame, and so do my many reflections. In the mirrored dark, I'm surrounded by corpses and candles and the devil girl's song. But there ain't no devil I see. It's the usual tune and the same old words, but they strike me now like water droplets on a hot griddle, searing me so deep that when I'm old, if I'm old, I'm certain Rose's song will be the last scars the worms eat. I follow the voice to the pedestal and to the large rosebud balanced delicately on its stem like a spinning top. I look for the first time at Rose, this limbless, hairless, warbling thing, red as the flames of hell. And when I stretch out my fingers, the petals shudder and slowly unfurl. Miss? The gentleman sounds small and jittery as he descends the last few stairs, hands outstretched and shoes scraping the floor. Miss, what's happening to me? When he enters my candlelight, I shrink back in terror. The man stands straight as a soldier, but when he tilts his head, his facial features don't move in conjunction. There's a delay making a droopy porridge of his face, the skin floating free on the bone and his voice trapped beneath until it finds an opening in his skull. I beg the cove to leave me alone. He don't listen, but don't come for me neither. He goes for the rose on the pedestal, dripping with hunger and face melting over the petals like butter on a summer stoop. The rose sings and the man sings, and in every mirror dozens of faces bulge and sing out in ghostly harmony. The rose maws wide and sprouts shiny black pimples, leaking fat pearls of milk. Mirrors and growths and lost souls sing as one. And as the cove tilts back his head and his face slides to a wrinkled mass at his hairline, the rose's voice twists into something. I understand. Beauty, it says. The man repeats the word, his voice like a trapped fart, until his lips catch up with the opening in his bone. Yes, he wheezes. I need beauty. We all do. That's why it's the hardest itch to scratch, says the damp and undulating rose. Everyone's fighting to get at it. But even when you get a sniff, you lose it quick. Beauty as fickle as the sky, as poisonous as hate. It is heavier and more addictive than any drug on earth. 
It is a veil. It is a villain. It binds you up with painted lips and dark eyes and soft human skin. Whatever the pleasing shape, our minds are death-struck with worship. The rose laughs like music, but it's not real. Deep down, you know it. And worst of all, you also know there's no easier gaffe in the world. Beauty is an empty promise, and men like you march into it day after day, thinking this time beauty will give you eternal life. Do you not feel pathetic? He nods stiffly. Yes, madam. Would you like eternal life? Yes, madam. Cross the street then, darling. Give us your love, and we will give you all you seek. The petals flex and the pimples spit. Do we have an accord? He gathers his face in his hands and says, Yes, madam. Good. And bring the little bitch with you. The man's facial features fall sluggishly back in place, and he glares at me with eyes as colorless and empty as Ma's. He latches onto my arm and smacks the candelabra out of my hand, extinguishing the last flame. His grip is tighter in the dark. I ain't even a whore yet, and his fingers are in me, piercing and stretching my flesh like the mirrored faces in their dutiful bone boxes, sucking on the words of Rose's alien song. He drags me, screaming up the devil's wooden teeth and through the door where the other littles are gathered, gawking and outraged and dried up as death in their freakish masks. They can't help me. Too much risk. As the man drags me through the hall, Mary is the only one to move. With a shaky but toothy grin, she scuttles ahead of us and opens the front door. The big house is open now, too. Warm light oozes around Miss Jenny's body as she steps outside and tilts her head to the little girl across the street who dared to be a woman. I scream and struggle with the ruffian, but the ground shuts me up quick when he pushes me from the stoop. Blood bursts from my nose when I land, and the pain rings through my jaw as the scars of Rose's song weeps acidic down my throat. The exquisite and horrific words that colored 16 years of life taste like salt, inflaming my throat with squirming secrets. The cove nicks me from the ground and drags me across the street, and no one says a word. Why would they? Even if he's fixing to kill me, what's another dead girl in the points? The rain carries away my blood to the oblivion binding me, and countless bastards with the bad fortune to be shat out on Amity. In a few months, it'll be like I never existed. And fuck me. I don't think I've ever been so relieved. To die without the burden of memory? With no one to cry for or curse me? The sun will still rise each day. Men will lose their heads in opiate beauty. And Miss Jenny will greet the world as she greets me now. Arms open and shadows unfurling. Her countenance swallows us up, whisking us into a strange, crimson foyer where ceiling-leaf draperies closes us off from the rest of the house. Standing before the curtain, the Madam of Amity appears made of it, 
her dark gray trappings shifting to match her rose brooch, the drapes and the blood still trickling from my nose. The few times I saw her from the street, she didn't look old exactly, but she didn't look this youthful. Her skin is smooth and tight as mine, and her lips are full, bright tulips breaking through a late frost. Her age ain't up for question, though. It's in her hips, the way she stands cocked with that confident grace that makes you feel like a numbskull babe pleading to suckle at her teat. She's the queen of all she surveys, and right now, she's staring twin gouges into my very soul. The man is in the curtains, searching for a slit, but he quickly gets lost and tangled and weeps for the madam's help. She rescues the flustered gent, and in an unmistakably melodic voice says, Move a muscle before I say so, and no sweeties for you. He clenches every muscle in his body, and her focus shoots back at me. You're early, she says. I try to sniff back the blood, but my sinuses thunder with pain. Clutching my face, I moan and beg for forgiveness. It was an accident, madam. I I'm being square. I've been good and done what I was told all these years. I, I wouldn't dream of defying you. I want nothing more than to be one of your girls. As she marches forward, she catches the drapes of her whirlwind, fluttering them apart with glimpses of the silky, glittering women behind the curtains. They look like royalty in their gowns and jewels, but the rose pinned to each of their chests sparkles brightest, plush and dewy, even finer than Miss Jenny's. The man's pale eyes roll wild in his skull, and tears stream down his cheeks as he fights to remain still. Miss Jenny hums as she thumbs a tear from his cheek and presses it to her lips. Don't waste a drop, darling. They sure as shit won't. The finest ladies in New York dance like flames through the drapery slits and sweat runs heavy down the cove's brow. They blow him kisses, writhing in impatience as Miss Jenny slithers closer. Would you like that, sir? For my girls to suck and fuck you dry? He sobs with joy and nods with his hands in prayer. Remove your clothes. I've never seen someone strip off their togs so quick. He is pale and fleshy and a slobbering mess when the curtains part wide. In the moments before he throws himself to the wolves, I scan the faces of my future on the other side. The women are smiling and sighing and twisting their bodies together like maypole ribbons, so much that I can't tell where one girl begins and the other ends. Miss Jenny sifts through his belongings pocketing the money from his billfold and an engraved silver timepiece that would feed the little house for near a month. You're robbing him? Aren't you afraid he'll squeal? I ask her. I'm not afraid of anything, she says, tossing his clothes to the floor. Certainly not a walking bone-on who didn't have the good sense to keep out of the devil's cellar. Then again, she says, glaring at me. You didn't either. I didn't know what was down there, I swear. For God's sake, I still don't. All my life, I thought Rose was a girl. I, I thought she was one of us. Jenny cradles her rose brooch as if calming a crying infant. 
It is part of us, without question, she says. Besides, no matter how you fare in this test, you will always be one of my girls. She is inches from me, standing in a way that unhinges her nonchalance. Her eyes glitter with something between fascination and sorrow. She runs her fingers through my soggy, limp hair. Is that what you told Pinky? She bats her eyelashes. Pinky? Was that the last one? You didn't even know her name? I don't know yours either, dear. She tilts her head as she smirks, and shadows streak the left side of her face. There are extra decades in the darkness. More creases around the hollows. More age spots on the mounds. It gave me no pleasure to turn Pinky away, I promise you. But she wasn't a good fit. She was a pretty one, though. I've no doubt she's made a good life for herself. She's rotting in the Bowery, I barked. I saw her less than a year ago. Her skin was falling off, and she was covered in boils like the ones on the rose in the cellar. She was dying. I'm sorry to hear that, but I'm not sorry I dismissed her. Her insides weren't right, and I didn't want to put my healthy girls at risk. The flapping curtains catch my attention, with slits of flesh and sounds of pleasure. They're passing the man around. He is at first on my left, then tangled in a knot of women on my right, and all around me their tongues flick out the words of the devil girl's song. Do you like what you see? Miss Jenny asked me. I don't know what I see. Her hands melt over my shoulders as she draws her chest to my back, the rose brooch sticking in my spine. It is your heritage, darling. Ancient, noble, and unyielding. I don't understand. Who are you? Are you the devil? Miss Jenny throws her head back with laughter. Oh, sweetheart. The devil's a gaff, like any other. God, too, if you want the truth. There are creatures more glorious and terrifying in this world than any silly little bedtime story. And you are one of them. The man is a tent pole on which the women stretch themselves. He is a fire hydrant in which they frolic and bathe and drink until he is shrunken and husked, and they glow heavenly bright between fiery feathers of drapery. Jenny grabs my chin with one hand, digging her fingers into my flesh and squeezing my skull like a tomato that splatters pulp and pain to every facet of my face. Open your mouth. I shake my head, and her nails pierce my skin with alarming ease. I am her pincushion. I am warm tallow in her fist. Open your mouth, bastard, or I'll rip your goddamn jaw off. Tears run down my cheeks as I open wide and let the Madam of Amity inspect me like a prize heifer. She hums as she peers into me and releases my chin. Turning to the shadow, the decades rise to the surface of her skin again, and Miss Jenny looks her age. But where there are wrinkles, there are also scales. Where there is dimpled flesh, there are wet and drifting islands of crusted pus. And where there is one Madam of Amity, there are many, a clonal colony of women writhing in the darkness 
with the shriveled udder of a gentleman coiled in their serpentine bodies. They are the same cherubic nymphs they were at sixteen, but in the spaces between, they are slick with scurf, united by disease and fleshy tentacles branching throughout the big house like a hellish root system. For years, I thought the devil had roots in the cellar. But if the devil's just a gaff, so is the location of the roots. They ain't confined to the little house. They're in Miss Jenny's boarding house, too. They're in the women of 17 Amity Street. And they're in me. Pain stabs my chest, and it feels as though my racing heart will rocket through my breastbone. The agony empties my lungs, and I sink to my knees, clutching my chest like I can stop the wretched tunneling thing inside. But it's too late. I'm in bloom. The rosebud cracks through my sternum like it's iron, but unfolds like the first flower in Eden. It's not pain that ravages me now, nor pleasure or any sensation I've felt in my little freak show life so far. It rivets my senses and deciphers the scarring on my soul. At last, I understand the words, ancient, noble, and unyielding. My heritage is the past and future of this world. The cove appears between their fleshy trunks, and as they push him through the curtains, his virility returns. He is plump again, and his eyes sparkle with color as he dresses. Were they to your satisfaction, sir? Miss Jenny asks, nodding his tie. Better than I imagined. You will tell your companions about us, won't you? I love our location, but I long for expansion. Bigger houses, more borders, all over the world. With a bow, he says, I'm your humble servant, madam. She thanks him and opens the door. A man in a tuxedo is standing in the rain, poised to pluck the ribbon when the satisfied customer exits, tipping his hat to the waiting gent. One moment, sir, she says. I promise it'll be worth it. Closing the door, she fixes her sights on me and exhales heavily. <sighs> Are you ready, girl? Me? I, I don't know how to sing. Come now. You know the words. Sing? She grasps the rose protruding from my breastbone and snaps the stem, sending bolts of nauseating grief throughout my body. Removing her rose pin reveals a cavernous tunnel in her chest. Roots snake from the opening, crisscrossing my rose and pulling my wriggling bloom into Miss Jenny's body. The flower moves under her skin, down her ribcage and legs, through her tentacles, and into the moist earth below, where I feel each stone and smell every worm as my roots crawl under Amity, up and through the pedestal, back into the cellar of the little house. Pinning her brooch in place, she says, you will take him to the freak show. No, please don't make me go back there, I plead, clutching my empty breast, pinning her brooch in place, she says. You will take him to the freak show. After wiping the blood from my face, she drapes it around my shoulders and conceals the broken stem in my chest. 
You wanted to be one of us, but you let one of us die. Do you think we couldn't hear our sister screaming down there while you did nothing? She wasn't blessed with beauty like you and me, but she survived her heritage with grace and strength when your precious pinky couldn't even manage a year. I said I was sorry. It was an accident. She smirks. Which little house girl will say that about you, I wonder? Opening the door, Miss Jenny greets the gent and apologizes. My ladies are eager to meet you, sir, but they require some preparation. In the meantime, please enjoy a complimentary tour of my house of human oddities across the street. In the cellar, there is a creature so rare and intoxicating, you'd swear she was sired by the devil itself. When intrigue lights up his face, she gives this me This young shove. woman will escort you. He greets me with the tip of a hat. And what might your name be, miss? Miss Jenny squeezes my shoulder. Call her Ma. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Wicked Library. The Wicked Library is a Ninth Story Studios production, ninthstory.com. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. You can be a part of helping us keep the shows coming for as little as $2 a month. Those who contribute more get extra rewards. If you enjoy The Wicked Library, check out our sister show, The Lift, featuring many of the same authors voice actors, and of course, scores by Nico Viteze of We Talk of Dreams. Complete credits and full show notes, including links and information from today's episode, can be found on thewickedlibrary.com. You can also find links to our Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes page. Until next time, go ahead, leave the lights on. It makes it easier for Rose to find you. (laughs) 